Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi there, welcome to this week's Premier League Tonight podcast, which is in fact a special edition of FA Cup Tonight. I'm Jay Comfrey and this week I was joined at Cower Road by three men who know all about what it takes to play and win cup finals in Frank Lampard, Steve McManaman and Chris Sutton. And in a special part of the show this week, we also spoke to award-winning author Michael Calvin, who joined us to preview his book-turned-BT-sport documentary, No Hunger in Paradise, which explores the academy system and the pressures and pitfalls that prevent young players from making it as a professional footballer. Well, the FA Cup third round returned this weekend with plenty of drama and major talking points, so here are all the best bits. Let's hear what George Baker has to say. He was happy, delighted with what Mark Robbins' side did, because he's a Coventry fan. Here were his post-match thoughts. Well, there we have it. We've remarkably pulled off one of our biggest cup shots in years and we deserved it. We were dominant. Well, they were dominant, but we always thought the better team. We always thought of the team that was going to score. And I'm just, it's one of the proudest moments I've had as a Coventry fan. Just all the rubbish we've had in recent years. And this is one of them standout moments again that makes me fall in love with the club all over again. I can't believe it. We've beat Stokesy, the Premier League team. Get in. Get in indeed. And I'm pleased to say Jack Grimm is on the phone. Round of applause for Jack Grimmer, everybody. The man who won the game today, the Coventry. Dream. Jack, congratulations. How are you feeling? Hi. Uh, it's an incredible feeling. Um, you know, I heard you speaking about the magic of the cup. And, you know, to, to score one goal in the FA Cup is, is incredible, especially it being a winner. Talk us through it. It was a decent strike, wasn't it? It was. You know, I think uh, I managed to sort of... Um, I was looking for the cross and then I just, you know, thought to take a touch and shoot and luckily, uh, you know, it squeezed in the near post. Jack, this is Stevie McManaman. I mean, I just wanted to ask you, I know you're doing well in the in the league. How difficult is it to play on, on your pitch at home? Yeah, it's extremely difficult and I think, like, you know, full credit to Stoke, they managed to actually pass the ball in it. Um, you know, I think you can see from the picture that it's, you know, not in the best of shape, um, which probably helped us a bit today. But, um, yeah, it was, it was very difficult. So, thankfully, it worked in our favour and managed to get the win. Jack, Frank Lampard here, mate. Just uh, congratulations, first of all. But who, who do you want next? Who would be your pick if That's you could take question. anyone? That's the question. That's <laughs> the uh, question. I'm a big Man United fan. Um, I would love to play. I've been lucky enough to play them before, um, but it was at home. Um, so, I'd love to play Old Trafford and, and hopefully draw them away. 
Absolutely. And Jack, we should finish by just mentioning the Coventry fans. This show has been set up for the fans. 14,000 there today. They've been absolutely through the ringer in the last few seasons with the ownership at Coventry and all the other things going on. So a great day for you, a good day for the club. But for the fans, they deserved today, didn't they? Yeah, definitely. I've, I've said it um, before. I think today was, was definitely one for the fans because, you know, even with everything going on and on and off the pitch, you know, they've supported us throughout it all. And, you know, as you see today, they turned out in numbers and thankfully we managed to get the win for them. Well, well done, mate. Congratulations, you march on. We'll be uh, crossing our fingers you get Manchester United then on Monday night in the draw. Yeah, here's hoping. Thank you very much. Thanks very much. Right, let's yeah. hear now from Elliot, who will not be feeling too positive because he's a Stoke fan. Here are his post-match thoughts. Stoke have crashed out of the FA Cup after a 2-1 defeat to Coventry. Mark Hughes' position is untenable now. There's no way he can stay on as manager. Peter Coates, you now need to act. You need to make a decision, get a new manager in, and you need to get him gone as soon as possible. And for me, the worst bit about it is I've been surrounded by Coventry fans. <laughs> Uh, Mark Hughes, is that it now? Yeah, I think it is now. I don't like to say that about managers, but after the last couple of weeks, um, certainly the Newcastle defeat was crushing today. I felt, to a certain extent, I watched a lot of the game and, and I felt a little bit sorry for him. The second goal, I mean, we just spoke to Jack Grimm, it was a nice strike, but the goalkeeper should have saved it, a goalkeeper of Jack Butland's quality. And they then went on to miss chance after chance after chance in the last... 10, 15 minutes, and they were kept on going across to Mark Hughes, and, and I felt I really felt for him as it. But I think um, I think time has run out because he's, he's he's certainly lost all of the fans now, rather than a section of them. Yeah. They've been in regression for a couple of seasons now under Mark Hughes. I think that's the biggest thing. Uh, transfer windows, uh, Berahino hasn't been a success. I think Imbula um, and Vimmer, you know, a lot of money wasted. Uh, and I, th I think the biggest thing is the fans have turned in huge numbers. Uh, I, I think he has to go. I thought he should have gone after the, you know, the debacle against Newcastle. And the breaking news is that it's emerging on social media that indeed Mark Hughes has been sacked. That's what the Telegraph are reporting now. Mm. And you would have to say, in this era of trigger-happy owners getting rid of managers quickly, they've, they've been patient with Mark Hughes. They've given him a chance at Stoke, haven't yeah. they? It's just got to the point now where it feels right for everybody. I think mm. Steve said you start to feel sorry for Mark Hughes. What more can he do to turn that around? The fans don't want him there. The players are not really reacting. A change is probably the best thing for the club. So yeah. the right solution for everybody, it seems. And I think he was given enough time, actually, wasn't he? The, the old, you, can't, you can't fault Stoke City's owners. They've given him another game and they've given him another game and, you know... To, to lose to, to Coventry in the FA Cup in the first round, it is, a bit, it is a big shock. It's the shock that everybody's talking about a Premier League side going out to lower league opposition. And, you know, as I said, it was right all around, I think, this time around. And now we arrive at that age-old question of when you're getting rid of a manager, who comes in to do a job? What kind of a manager do they need, do, do they need in there now at Stoke? Well, I think, first and foremost, they needed a different voice. You know, the players clearly weren't responding uh, to the instructions, con conceding... Uh, too many goals in a, in a relegation scrap and they've got, I think they've got a tough one next at Manchester United. Then they've got, I think, three or four fixtures where you think are going to be key to Stoke survival. So they need to make the decision quickly, whoever it is. What do you think? Uh, experience. Mm. And I, I Premier like, League experience. I think so. And we go on that merry-go-round, we seem to talk about every week, yeah, the five yeah. or six ones. But I think with the, the players they've got, I watched them at Chelsea and they were terrible from start to finish and I couldn't see a way out from them. So I don't think a, a young manager can come in and go, right, we're going to change and play three at the back and mm. play great football. I think they need to dig themselves out of it this year and then, and then see Yeah, start go. again, isn't it? Because they've got a lot of... We spoke about West Ham just after Slaven Bilic lost his job and... 
when you looked at the team, they had players, random players, different types of players from, from everywhere. And you thought, what are they trying to do? What are they trying to build? And I have that impression of, of Stoke. They've got Shawcross there and people like that who have been there a long time that you can rely on. But the new signings just seem to be signings just picked from, I don't know, from, from thin air at times. You wonder how they want to play. What, what kind of um, progression are they going through? Are they going to bring through the youth team? Or are they just going to buy random players? And they, they don't look as if they've got any direction today. And I wonder if, if Hughesy was buying the players or whether it was somebody else buying the players. And um, that's why it looks as if they have to start again. OK, well, it's just been confirmed by Stoke as well. Mark Hughes has indeed lost okay. his job. It's a difficult one now for them, isn't it? Because they are in a relegation scrap. They are down there towards the bottom fighting for their lives in the Premier League. So do you go and get a manager in, which we're seeing a bit of at the moment, on these six-month deals till the end of the season, and just try and stay in the Premier League and that's their aim? Or do you go for someone who's a long-term project and, and you, you, you want the slate clean? You know, we're already in a transfer window as well. First things first, get yourself in the Premier League next season. And I think that takes what we've seen with David Moyes. The one thing he's done at West Ham straight away was organise them. Mm. And I think that's one thing you'd associate with Stoke, really, that they could organise and they could have a go and would generally grind out results. They've lost that completely. So I think with the personnel, I, I, I agree with the direction thing. I think the direction's been terrible in the last two years of who they're buying. So but get through this season because I, I don't think they can look too long down the line. I don't think the line will be there that long. I could be in the championship. Who's available? That's the problem, isn't it? Well, uh, Slavin Bilic is, is, is available, but when you look at what happened at West Ham, would Stoke rely on you know, somebody whose team ultimately shipped goals uh, this season? So, uh, no, I mean, it, I think um, you know, Frank is right. It's the you know, usual suspects, but a lot of them are now back in jobs, yeah. aren't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, OK, well, just to, just to bring you right up to date, this is the message from Stoke City on social media. Stoke can confirm the contract of Mark Hughes has been terminated with immediate effect. We'd like to thank Mark for all he's achieved at the club over the last four and a half years, notably in guiding us to three successive ninth-place finishes in the Premier League. We wish him every success for the future. The club will look to appoint a new manager as soon as possible and we'll be making no further comment at this time. The favourite for the job is Ryan Giggs. Well, I'd, li- I'd like it to have a new direction, something like that. I don't want them to do, be short-term. I think they're strong enough to stay in the Premier League, regardless of who will be manager. Mm. I know you're taking a chance, of course you are, but we've seen, well, certainly I've seen every Premier League club numerous times this year, and I think Stoke will be fine. But I'd like them to pick a bit long-term, and I'd, I'd like Giggsy to get the job. Hard job, though, for Ryan, isn't it, going into that dressing room in the position that Stoke are in? Yeah, but you'd take it, wouldn't you, if you're yeah. Ryan Giggs? Oh, absolutely. You know I mean? It's one of those jobs, as Steve said, I reckon they've got the players there. So if you can be a catalyst and keep them up, yeah. then you can. And I think we'd all like and to, have to a know if Ryan Giggs can be a man. You know, and let's give him a the chance. Players Someone would have give him a huge chance. amount of respect for, for Giggs, wouldn't they? Yeah. They'd have a huge amount of respect for him. Chris? Yeah, look, you, you've got to start somewhere. Right, I mean, yeah. it, you know, it's, it's a tough task. But when you look how many teams are in a relegation scrap, you know, why yeah. not Ryan Giggs? Is, Is that your attempt at being positive? That's, that's <laughs> being, being extremely positive there. Yeah. <laughs> Go on, Frank. Back Crouchy, player manager. Yeah. Could be, couldn't he? What if he's ready for it? That's hard, though, isn't it, to suddenly <laughs> manage the players <laughs> in your dressing room? It would be good value, though, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you know what happens when they, <laughs> when they score the winner in his first <laughs> game? Yeah, let's start it. Let's get Crouchy manager. Uh, Player manager, Crouchy. Chris, people say that Stoke have acted quickly to arrest their form under Mark Hughes, like they didn't put up with him for five years. Will, no alarms and no surprises. Hughes sacked. Now either get Gary Rowett. He might keep us up. He knows the championship if we go down. That's positivity. Uh, and Martin O'Neill, uh, Slope Roy Keane, um, scare our way to safety um, by playing a 4 4 2. Martin O'Neill's um, certainly a, a And finally, uh, Gavin Smith. It's about time Mike Hughes was sacked. The right decision, in my
in my opinion, would definitely have taken them down, and he spent money on absolute rubbish. Um, just before we move on, something I want to draw your attention to in the programme today. Nice-looking programme as well. Uh, page 55, Lee Power, who was a, a Norwich City player back in the 90s, who I'm sure Chris remembers. Um, he talks about his first, his best and his worst. And when it comes down to worst-dressed teammate, this is what he had to say. <laughs> Sutty always this? had the worst clothes without a shadow of a doubt Foxy rule Fox and I tried our best to help get him kitted out but his dress sense was horrendous I've not seen him for a while but I spoke to someone the other day who sees Sutty from time to time and it would appear he's not improved over the years that's hard to disagree with that's proven that wrong isn't it that's proven that wrong do you like the jacket just to show us that you've got the little elbow pads and everything look at this he's got the patches on that's my dad's jacket they're cheap shots at them then aren't they they are aren't they aren't they this is fashionable in Norwich no you look lovely I did want the camera to zoom in on you but they said they can't because it starts to strobe which is like the first rule of television is you don't wear a jacket like that in a TV studio how long have you worked on this I'm learning yeah absolutely but he is totally right he is bang bang on trend for Norfolk uh, right let's turn our attention back to the FA Cup and it's time for another round of applause this time for Kevin Nolan Kevin congratulations today, away from home uh, against Brentford John Stead got the winner um, what a brilliant year you've had there and this is a lovely way to cap off 12 months you arrived at the club they were 91st in the football league and now you're fourth into the fourth round and, and flying high in the league as well mate yeah I mean uh, it's been a it's been hard work, but a really enjoyable one. And, you know, I always see my path of, of going in the management, but I, I didn't expect it to be this soon. But I must admit, I'm really enjoying every minute of it at the minute and just, you know, working hard as I can to just keep getting better, really. Kevin, Frank Lampard here. Um, I'm doing my coaching badges at the minute. Um, but, you know, just starting throughout. And I just, just a general question. What's the hardest thing? What's the one thing you think you've found the most taxing thing to try and get across to the players or, you know, to bring the success that you're getting now? Um, well, I think, well, to be to be honest, Frank, I, I've, I've, um, you know, I've been quite lucky because I walked into a club with, which had a lot of uh, good players in at, at first. Uh, the, the most, the hardest thing I should say is, is actually getting the, the, the badges. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, obviously being involved in football, uh, you know, like yourself since since we were kids. I think it, it, you know, you sort of. You, you love and you thrive in that environment. Uh, so for me, um, I, I'm just I'm just trying to take each day as it comes, learn as much as I possibly can. Uh, I had a, a really well good but bad experience at Orient, and I think that's uh, helped me right. in this job. Uh, you know, and because you you know it's the owners, and I think the most important thing is to try and get a good owner. If you've got a good owner, I think you've you know you've got you've got a, a real good chance and a good opportunity to to, to move on. Kevin, congratulations. Uh, would you take? Would you rather take a good cup run or promotion? Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, well listen, I want to, I want to, I want to be promoted. Don't get me wrong, but you know, it weighing in the, it weighing in the, shall we say, the itinerary. When I walked into the job this time last year, it was about you know sustaining this league, and sustaining ourselves in this league, and making sure that we we weren't in the trouble what we was. But obviously now where we sit, you know, it, it's obviously a possibility and we've got to continue to do that. But uh, I, I must admit, I'd, I'd, I'd rather be promoted than have a good cup run, although probably the owner had run it the other way because of the money and everything what goes with it, you know. And that's been probably the most testing thing is trying to, you know, get the money to, to help and to get players in and out, really. And Kev, has Alan, the chairman, got any more money to spend? 
I, I think um, come the come the draw on on Monday is the draw. If you get yeah. if you get a, if you get a good hit against Liverpool or maybe a, a United or something, there's some gate receipts that need spending somewhere, isn't there? Yeah, well, you know, that's what, well, I mean, that's, when you're in league, dude, that's what you're always hoping, that you're going to get one of the big boys, you know, um, and, and sort of get, you know, a televised game, all that type of stuff, which just helps with everything, what goes on, you know, in the in the annual, you know, money-wise and things. But um, for me, I, I, you know, I think we've got we've got to be clever. I've got, I've, I've inherited, well, I inherited a good squad last year. I was able to add to it in the summer. I don't really want to be chopping and changing a lot. If I, if there is someone who we feel that can come in and really, you know, give us that bit of a, you know, a bit of a lift and a bit of a push and push the lads who are, who are already there, then yeah, I think we'll be interested. But at the minute, I think, you know, I'm quite content with what we've got and what I'm working with. Good man, Kevin. Well, look, it's going well for you. You're making a name for yourself. Uh, do you fancy moving to Stoke? <laughs> <laughs> I've just been hearing the lad. It, I mean, listen, it's, it's, it's tough, isn't it? You know, this managerial stuff. But I'm loving every minute of it. And hopefully it'll continue to go the right way. But uh, I think that might just might be a bit too soon for me. <laughs> yeah. All right, then. Listen, thanks for joining us. Well done. Best of luck, mate. Well and everyone knows County, you're doing a great job. We'll thanks see you in the much, draw. Cheers. Cheers, mate. Top man. Thank thanks, you. Kevin. All the best. Right, let's talk then. Philippe Coutinho. Um, it was only last night that you and I went out on the town in Norwich. I showed you the sights of this fine city. And we, we were speaking about Coutinho yeah. and you said, why on earth would he move now when he can't play yeah. in the Champions League for the rest of the season for Barcelona? So this move has taken you by surprise a bit. No, the, well, the move hasn't. I think the move was inevitable and most Liverpool fans... The timing? The timing, I just don't see what good comes out of it. Listen, it doesn't bother me whether he goes now or in January. I just feel like he's in really good form for Liverpool. He was captain of Liverpool when he was playing. He scored lots of goals, making lots of chances. Looks, you know, visually looks really good. And now he's going to go to a Barcelona team who were flying in the in the league. Um, he can't play in the Champions League for for either team now. I just thought it was a bit of a wasted opportunity. They could have they could have easily done the deal and 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 gone at the end of the season. Um, there's a World Cup year. Will he walk back into? The, will he walk right into that Barcelona team? Probably because of his price tag. But Dembele's fit now. Um, you know, Iniesta's there. You know, they're playing really well. I just don't see, you know, what what, what advantage he's got for for Barcelona or Liverpool. Yeah, really, lack of ambition again. selling him from Liverpool. No, I don't think so. I think a player wants to go. He's Brazilian. I don't think. Isn't it's... 142 million pounds quite a bonus for Liverpool? Well, of course it is. When you pay eight million quid, yeah. of course, of course, it's a bonus. But you're never going to stop. A, you're never going to stop then, a Brazilian and his family wanting to move to Barcelona or Real Madrid. You're not. It's just part of life. And if, um, you know, if, as I've said before, if it happened with Xabi Alonso when Real Madrid called, if David Zahaya will eventually go back, a lot of players want to go back. If you, if, you, if, you're, if you flip it in your Barcelona, though, and you pay £140 million, and you say, but you can have him in six months when he's had another 30 games, might be injured, might be this, might be that. If you're paying the money, you want the player, don't you? Yeah, oh, no, I get Barcelona's, I get, but I, I just don't necessarily get the player's point of view. Because he needs to play, and he needs to play just constantly. It's his dream, isn't it? It's not like he's a Liverpool lad that's grown up playing for the club. I think yeah, he's taken his dream. He's taken six months on the chin for a move that he really wants to make, yeah. and he's nervous mm. to wait six months, and, and that's his call. And I, we're in a, in an ideal world, Liverpool would have gained, and Barcelona waiting on this player. But I think he he's, he wanted it so much, didn't he? That he didn't, he wasn't ready to wait. Seems. And listen, 142 million is only a good amount of money if you reinvest that money well. You know, did they do well enough with the Suarez money? Did Tottenham do well enough with the Gareth Bale money? That is now what the conversation has to become, isn't it? But they invested in Van Dijk, didn't mm. they? Which was the area which I think most people uh, would say was a concern. 
but I suppose you know if Liverpool end up finishing fifth in the Premier League, should they have let yeah, them go? That's the bit. That'll be the big question. Only they'll live and die about where they finished in the Premier League. Now it won't necessarily be the Champions League because they were not one of the favourites to win the Champions League. But if suddenly they're in fourth, they're in a Champions League place now. If they don't finish in the Champions League place. You know, people will hark back to we shouldn't have let Coutinho go because he was so instrumental. He was that that little bit of genius to unlock a game. What if Mane gets injured? What if Salah gets injured? Who's injured at the moment? Why didn't we keep him? That's the only thing that'll hang over a lot of people's heads, unfortunately. Could it derail things for them? Do you think that push for the top four? Uh, yeah, well, he's a great player, so yeah, he's definitely taking an edge off their team, uh, and it could derail them, and it could be a talking point. We're talking already about it. They've only got to have one or two games yeah. where they don't create. And, and people start asking that question. I think what will happen now is Liverpool will go and buy, go and buy people now. Yeah. They'll have to. Sh- January's not a great time to buy. No, players. it's not. The pressure's going to be on to do it now. But they might, they may, they may buy and just, you know, just to give the fans a little bit of PR again and maybe do what you know Navi Case is doing and come in the summer. But I think they'll have to go out now and show the fans that yes, we've lost him, but we've got Plan B. We've, we have got somebody ready to come in when because this has been on the cards for a while. This this move. And Liverpool have been busy in the background making, making sure they've got replacements, whether it's in defensive areas, whether it's goalie or whether it's a centre-forward. You know, They'll have replacements lined up re- ready to push the button now the money's coming. What would you spend the money on? What areas would you look to uh, spend? A goalkeeper. Yeah. Uh, and I'll get a goal scorer. I'll get an out-and-out out mm. front man. I love Firmino. I love the way he plays. But sometimes I look at him and say, for all the creation, and now Coutinho's gone. I think teams that win things generally have a 25, 30 goals a season, mm. man. Well, Salah could be going that way. He's not an out-and-out striker. The problem is you get 142 million, but how do you replace Coutinho? Now, you know, I, I agree it's with that. Probably a replacement, isn't I, it? Well, I think a, a centre-forward uh, and a goalkeeper. Just just missing. I, I've been disappointed with Sturridge. You know, I think his days at Liverpool are, you know, are well and truly over, so I think a centre-forward would be mm. the, the next option. Okay, uh, a bit of reaction coming in right now. Uh, Kieran Reid says, I'm disappointed Coutinho has left, but we've got plenty of money for him. I'm looking forward to seeing who Klopp brings in to fill that gap. And James, my opinion on the Coutinho move is that it's great for the club, even though it's a huge loss. We're able to bring in better players and make our squad stronger than it already is. Uh, do you know what? I think the biggest disappointment, actually, if, particularly if you're not a Liverpool fan, if you are, it's different, but it's just losing a brilliant player in the Premier League, isn't it? Mm-hmm. We all love watching him. He's special. Yeah, it's a- Top player. I still think, you know, I know it's a, it's a tall order, the Champions League, but I, I still think Coutinho at Liverpool in the Champions League, you can't rule Liverpool out. They can see too many goals. Yeah. But, I mean, they're, they can be anybody on the day. They're scintillating. Um, video assistant referees will make their debut in English football on Monday evening as part of the Brighton Crystal Palace game. It's live on BT Sports, and Graham Pohl has been, been to investigate what may well be happening. Take a look at this, and then we're going to discuss the new arrival of VAR in English football. So during the game, when will VAR come into force? The VAR will monitor four key situations. So those are goals, penalty kicks, whether they've been awarded or not, direct red card offences, so not second yellows, just direct red cards, and mistaken identity. Say an incident occurs on the field of play, the VAR will then say, I'm checking that incident, which alerts the referee. At that point, if the ball then goes out of play, we will delay the restart of the game to allow the check to be completed. The VAR looks at it, If he comes to the conclusion that the referee has made a clear and obvious error, he'll advise the referee to make an on-field review. So first of all, you'll see the referee make the communication signal, I'm talking to the VAR. Then you'll see the referee make the TV screen signal, saying we're now having a a review of the situation. Then one of two things happens. Either the referee for clear situations will rely on the evidence provided by the VAR, change the decision, 
or for those subjective situations, the referee will go across to the monitor, look at the footage, make his decision, he'll then come back onto the field of play, communicate again that it's a review decision and award whatever the outcome is. Take Deli Ali's challenge for example. So on the field of play it looks like a tackle is just a reckless foul challenge. So Craig cautions the player. I think we'd all agree that if you look at the footage it merits a red card. So you have evidence to say it's a clear and obvious error by the referee. One of the challenges for using the VAR is to work out which is the best speed to look at a particular incident. Because we all know slow motion can distort things. Likewise seeing things in real time sometimes you don't see the full extent of it. So somewhere in between is the right answer. And what we're trying to the officials in training is use the slow motion to establish point of contact. Use real-time footage to establish intensity. How far back can the review go? The review can go back to the start of that attacking possession phase that directly linked to the goal. From that moment, roll forward. So you can look then at challenges, you can look at offside situations, anything that directly impacts on that goal being scored. The final decision is always taken by the referee. When the VR looks at an incident, it takes about 30 to 40 seconds. You tee the replays up, you go through two or three replays from different angles, and then you can impart the information to the referee. It obviously takes longer if you go to an on-field review, because physically the referee's got to go to the review area, look at the same footage again, come back and make his decision. And that tends to take two minutes, two and a half minutes. Those on-field reviews tend to happen about once every three games. Will Zaha penalty against Manchester City, right at the end of the game there. A penalty was given. Some people thought it was, some people thought it wasn't. So in those grey areas, the VAR doesn't intervene. VAR will not make the game perfect. It's never intended to. The question the VAR asks himself is, is the action taken by the referee clearly and obviously wrong? If it's not, then we stay with the on-field decision. It's a little bit like the umpire's call in cricket. And that protects the integrity of the game. We don't want to be stopping and reviewing everything. If we keep to that high threshold, I think we'll get the benefits from it. OK, well, this is the exact specifics of what's going to go on. VAR will alert the match referee if a clear, and you just heard this, didn't you? Clear and obvious error has been made in one of four areas. It's only goals, penalties, straight reds and mistaken identity. The match referee can then take advice from the VAR in his earpiece or he can go to a pitch side monitor and check the evidence for himself. The final decision then rests with the match referee. And the issue is cleaned up before the referee starts play. Once play's been restarted, the slate is wiped clean with one exception, violent conduct. If an incident of this form occurs earlier in the match and then comes to light, the culprit can be given a red card. So that's the only time that you can go back um, in the match and look at other issues. The, the reality of this is that everyone's going to expect VAR to come in and be an instant success. But it's going to be something that evolves, isn't it? It isn't going to work every time straight away. It just simply isn't. No, it's not. Uh, I've got a problem with, with VAR other than in offside situations, ball over the line. Why? Uh, 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 because they are definitive. Yeah. You, can, you know, you have a line, you can see that. I think the subjective situations, I mean, everybody's been arguing all week about, you know, penalties. Um, you know, was, um, was Arsenal's a... Uh, no, Chelsea's a penalty. Yeah. Hazard a penalty. Last night, was Lallana's a penalty or not? They are subjective. And I think that when there's subjectivity, it is a problem. Well, let's have a look at last night's penalty then. Let's take this as a good example. The game is going on. Suddenly the referee hears that there may well have been a clear... And of, OK, first of all, this is the shove. So, this is... I suppose you could say this is an incident of, uh, of violent conduct. What do you think the VAR official would have made of that, Steve? I mean, I'm thinking... You, you can't I'd, believe the referee's missed it, can you? I'd have thought he'd have... Yeah, well, I thought he'd have left it alone and let the referee deal with it because... 
you think the referee saw it. You know, you, everybody else saw the push, didn't you? And you just, I'd, I'd hope that they just leave that well alone and leave it to the referee's discussion. Okay. Well, like, like the penalty, like the the Wilf. I thought he, I thought Mike Riley spoke this really? thing. Well, again, I just think you'd just leave it to the referee's discussion. It's subjective. Everton fans think he, he went to ground too easy. Liverpool fans think he's put his arm around him and it's a penalty. And you leave it to Bobby Madley's decision. But if the if the, uh, if the VAR referee says that, in his opinion, uh, he clear and obviously dived, then that's an issue, isn't it? Mm. So, and then, well, I'm not and sure there was anything yeah, clear would, and obvious in that I was going to say, a referee wouldn't say it was clear that he but dived, would he? But it's still subjective, isn't it? But I think they have to leave it to yeah. Bobby Madley to make his own decision up then, don't they? And if he's given it, if he's given a penalty, I think he'd look at that if he was questioned and say, yeah, I've still given, an I've still given a penalty. World. In an ideal world. In an ideal world, yeah. But VAR is going to remain subjective. Unless the, the VAR referee comes out and says exactly why they came to a decision, then it's, it's going to be debated in pubs and clubs and front rooms and on TV shows as it is now. It's, it's not going to get rid of the debate in football because so no. many of these incidents are... But there might subjective. be a bit more clarity. Mm. I think we need it. I think we need yeah. it. It's, going to, it's coming and we need it. And We might have six months and, you, as you say, it might adjust. We might get rid of the whole thing. But even working here now or when I'm watching other games on telly, I, I find ourselves debating whether that was a penalty, whether that was enough of a shove or whether that was enough of a touch. Mm. Too much yeah. at the moment. So we need some clarity in some way, shape or form. And if, if this is going and watching the video again for the ref, if this is going to his mate who might and then they can have a disagreement, I think it has to get here somehow. Yeah. I think the rules that we've set out there are really clear. A clear and obvious error. I think we all... But what is a clear and obvious error? Well, I think error? we all agree that the West Brom, Mike Dean one, where he gives a West Brom, uh, West Brom get a penalty in the last minute, we all agree that that was an error. Yeah. We all agree that it was not a penalty and Wenger's in trouble. And Mike Dean, the referee, has been absolutely pilloried and too much, really, in certain, in certain quarters about that decision. And I think that is a clear and obvious error. He got it wrong, and if, if he would have been able to see it again, he probably would have went, I've got that wrong, and, 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 and um, changed his decision. Are we not, though, just going to move the conversation from a decision that the referee made on the field to a decision that a referee made in a room watching a monitor? Well, yeah, but maybe, but I think it will be more sporadic because they, were, they have two eyes on it, then they go and watch the screen again. So... Yeah, the conversation will still be there, and we'll probably be even hotter yeah, on them then because yeah. they've had two looks at it, whatever. But I, I, I do think uh, we're that How do you measure contact? And that, that's what I don't, you, you know. It's instinct, the, the isn't it? It's experience. Night, but uh, I mean, you know, for example, the one last night, I, I thought actually it was a penalty because he stopped Lalana in his tracks. Lalana could have uh, got his shot off, and a lot of people said that there wasn't enough contact. No, I, I yeah, but I don't, they're not going to get involved in that decision, are they? They're just going to leave. They're just going to leave him alone. Are they not? Though? No, no, they won't. Well, unless it's a clear, but, but that, but unless it's a clear that's, and that's obvious error, certain, unless it's a clear and obvious error, but the man that upstairs may think it's a clear and obvious. That error. Well, he, I, I don't think yeah. he will. I don't, I don't think he will. No. that will be the test if they're yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, well, well. I know you're reticent about it, and I think there will still be incidents it doesn't clear up. But what it will do, it will stop these really obvious moments where the poor referee hasn't got the fifteen thousand replays that we've got in yeah. super slow mo, and he's standing there with no evidence, trying to make the right decision. There are incidents where it just simply will help. It won't solve every problem. And I think will it? it'll help. It will help those really. Clear I think it'll help with managers. It'll help with managers after the games as well. You know, being absolutely aghast that the decision never yeah. went away. If it's if it's looked at and clarified straight away, hopefully it'll give them a little bit of. I mean, it won't give all managers that, but it'll give them a little bit of peace of mind as well. Because you see how Arsene Wenger's reacted after that after that um, penalty at West Brom. Yeah. You know, he's been banned and it, it, that probably could have been cleared up in 30 seconds. A few comments again. Sam says, um, a disaster for football going to VAR. I'm a rugby and a cricket fan. All it does is slow down the game. Football is great because of the speed of the game. Uh, Vassos says VAR will be a disaster. Look at last year's Confed Cup. I predict it will be scrapped within a year. 
Mike Riley makes VAR sound like pure hell, says John Nicholson. <laughs> Mark my words, once you let this beast run free, it will have to be used for everything. It is irresistibly inconsistent otherwise. It's a brilliant point. And hello, John. Nice to know you're watching. Uh, and Andrew says the VAR has needed so many incorrect decisions lately. This will make watching football better. And I know exactly what's going to happen on Monday night. There will be no incidents <laughs> for the VAR. Let let uh, Josh Burridge says papered over cracks. That's his three-word match report. Finlay. Coleman is clueless. That started quickly. Uh, Mick McCarthy out says Mr. C, another difficult day for Ipswich. Um, and Richard Humphrey, posh, thrashed Villa. They did indeed. 3 1 win for Peter Barr. Um, so Mike is with us because there's a, a really interesting documentary going to be on BT Sport tomorrow evening, Sunday evening at 6 30, called No Hunger in Paradise. And it is the documentary about the fascinating book that, that Mike wrote and investigated about youth football in this country. Um, I watched it. And I thought it was fascinating. And I, I, I sort of finished it by thinking, well, you highlighted some really serious issues with youth development in this country. But at the same time, we're winning World Cups at youth level. So is our youth system in, in this country in good health or not? I think if you look at it, what I tried to do was investigate the power of the dream. And the dream is embodied by the success, unprecedented success at international level that yeah. we've had this summer. But also the price of the dream. You know, the success rate is 0.012%. So what happens to the rest of the boys? And that was, you know, are these, uh, they're, they're commodities in many ways. I was inter interested in, in the way that parents dealt with their own sense of responsibilities in that. Uh, how clubs, you know, use the system for their own ends. How an industry has basically taken over innocence. And I, I, that was the thing that I wanted to look at. In overall terms... If you look at them technically, you know, you've seen them at, at, at Chelsea, Frank, in terms of the technical ability now of the young players, it's improved immeasurably over the last three to four years. But what I also wanted to do was just look at what, let's look at what happens when the dream mm. dissolves. Parents was the, the big takeaway for you from watching the I did, I watched it as well and I, I took away parents because <clears throat> my nephew plays. And I'm fortunate because I came from a footballing background, so mm. I grew up kind of aware of stuff. But I think parents now, from what I know at Chelsea, it's not the same across the board, but they're very made very aware of the pitfalls for their sons, whether they're 8 or 12 or 14. The probability is they won't make it. Mm. And then I think the parents seem to me to take on this kind of different sense of, of, of normality where they all say, my boy's going to be a superstar. Mm. And then they wonder and, they're, and they're, com they're complaining when the boys have been let go by the clubs. And I agree the clubs do have a duty of care, but they're also clambering for this massive contract for their, mm. for their boy. And then they cry their eyes out when their boy is let down and goes down a different path. And I just think that parents have to go calm down everything. Go and play football at your club. Educate yourself, work hard at school, play another sport, have another interest. And then if it all does come, the 99.7% or whatever it is, they have a, a backdrop. And, and I saw it and I thought, uh, Kieran, was it Kieran Bywater? Kieran Bywater at West Ham, yeah. At the end of the, of the, of the documentary speaks brilliantly because he's actually gone through this whole process. And at the end of it, he goes, if I could go back, I would have done all these things to broaden it and I wouldn't have maybe have had the, the mm. virtual breakdown he seemed to have. Academy football is a brilliant people-watching business. Because you, know, you can actually get among the parents and you just ear, earwig them, yeah. listen to them. And you, you see the envy, you hear the fear. And there's, there's, a, there's huge competitiveness between the parents and there's a lot of bitchiness. Mm. And as you said, Frank, there's a lack of perspective. We're talking about young boys here. And the other thing I think we need to be aware of is that it's getting younger. There's a race to the bottom. 
you know, we've, we've seen examples of clubs approaching boys of three years old, yeah. which is insane. Yeah. Uh, you look around, say, in the northwest, which is a huge area, there are five and six-year-olds who are at Manchester United one night, Manchester City the next, Everton the next, Liverpool the next. These kids have been taken out of their schools. They're eating in the back of the cars. They're six years old. They're children. That's where I think the duty of care comes in. It's too early. And as in the film, you know, Gareth Southgate does say that you, you are too, you're going in too early on this. Six, seven, you, can't, you can't tell a player at seven years old. Let's, let's, it, it destroys cool. childhoods. Yeah. I, I mean, it does. You know, we always hear the success stories. Uh, but, but, you know, if, if you're in the system from three to 16, you get rejected at 16. You know, you, you think it's going to be a natural progression, the parents do, mm. and then you get released, your whole world falls apart. Well, this is what Gareth had to say, actually. He features in the documentary. Here's, here's a clip. What I would say is that I think we take them too young. I don't see how anybody can take a seven or eight-year-old kid into an academy and realistically have a conversation with them or their family that talks about being a professional at the end because for me impossible they, they might be a talent but that is a that is a, some journey you've got to go on i worry that kids are signed up too early and and that the dream is there at, at, at an age where it's impossible for anybody to know what's going to happen so is this an issue of a lack of regulation? Because if you're Chelsea and you're competing against Man United, who are competing against Man City, who are competing against Liverpool, competing against Arsenal, and you're finding the best six or seven-year-olds, naturally you go, look for the best four or five-year-olds, look for the best three, and it's, it's going to get lower and lower. As you say, it's a race to the bottom. And if, I think someone said in your documentary, if this was a hedge fund business mm. and they were exploiting and grooming children for profit, which is exactly what's happening, then the regulation would be unbelievable. So where... Where, where is the regulation for someone to step in and say, actually, it's not healthy. It's not healthy for a four, three, four, five-year-old to be taken into an academy. I think it's an under-regulated world. And you see this, you know, you, you, you hear anecdotally of agents arranging transfers between academies for 12-year-olds. You hear of 14, 13, 14-year-olds. There was one in particular offered a professional contract guaranteed to kick in when he's 17 at £45,000 a week. So if you're projecting that lifestyle, those riches, on a young boy, it would fry his brains. It would fry my brains uh, as an adult. So what are we doing with our kids in, in that sense? Are we selling them the dream, which ultimately, for most of them, will be an impossible dream? I, I go back to the parents, and I might bore you, but I just do think that they have an awareness and a perspective. I think from Chelsea, which I know very well, and Arsenal, which I know from my nephew, they get looked after brilliantly. I think it's a fantastic childhood. You get a chance to play football, you get an opportunity, their boots are clean, the pitches are pristine, the coaches are telling them the right messages. They get counsellors, they get support, they get back up. I think as a parent, support. Take your boy there, brilliant, and people do this all the time, drive them around the motorway, take them there, and then let the clubs do with them, but give them the idea that maybe every day, you might not make it, son, you have to educate yourself, do all these things, and then you give a backdrop, rather than they're pushing their, their boys down the route. And then, what and about then the support mechanism when they get released, though? No, I, I agree there should be a support mechanism, but it's, you know, it, the, the clubs then have to move on. That is the nature of it. It's like you leave university, you don't go and get a job. I can't go back to university and say, well, can you, you know, it was your fault. I, you have to be aware that I'm in the big wide world now. I feel like it's, a, you know, I agree. But, it, but, but, it, but it's hard when you're 12, 13, isn't it? And you're with a club all those years and all of a sudden you get rejected. 
and there doesn't seem to be that support mechanism. Mm. There, is, there, is, there is an element of, of premature professionalism here where you've got boys from the age of nine almost encouraged, maybe subliminally, to actually think, this is my job. Mm. I, I, mm. I talked to Sean Dyche about it recently, yeah. and Sean was saying, sometimes you, you, you'll see a boy at 16 to 18, and he's almost a husk because he's been through it all, he's yeah. been through the pressure, and it's overwhelmed him. Whereas if that same boy had a more normal childhood, multi-sport backgrounds maybe, mm. better education or a longer education, those sort of players now are finding themselves at 18 to 20 in non-league football. They're the ones who bounce back. They're the ones who get to a pro club and think, I want this, mm. I need this, and it's a completely different mindset. It's just, it's just incredibly competitive, isn't it? I mean, mm. it? It's dominated now by the top clubs. It's very difficult for a team like Norwich to compete, because if Norwich go out and find a great six-year-old, will you be guaranteed that Chelsea or someone else will be sniffing around, seeing what goes on, and off they go. Brentford, Huddersfield, close on their academies, it said in your documentary. There's more Manchester City scouts in Huddersfield than there were Huddersfield scouts. It, it, so seem, it seems like you have to be all in now, where years ago when I first started, you, you played a variety of sports and find your way. Now it's you know six years old and you have to dedicate your, your life to a football club. You can't play with your mates at school. That's wrong. That can't be right. I think as a parent, don't, don't get too excited. Support your son. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like everyone's watching YouTube and the skills and what's being made. Actually, get them to watch this documentary. Get them yeah. to listen to an interview with Stephen Gerrard, who's speaking about it on the documentary. And, all, and actually show them that side. Just level it down a little bit and then, and then let them be. It's, it's a fascinating documentary and I wish we could have another half an hour to talk about it. Sadly, we haven't. Um, but I just think, I do wonder whether winning these tournaments recently is going to change things. I wonder whether these young players are finally going to get more trust from coaches, more time from their parents to, get, you know, to be who they want to be. Don't forget, the FA Cup is live on BT Sport throughout the season and you can catch up with all the best moments of the Cup on the BT Sport app as well as our dedicated social media platforms. Thanks for listening to this special edition of our Premier League Tonight podcast. Next week we'll be at Wembley as Tottenham take on Everton. Make sure you join us then live on BT Sport. And if you enjoyed this week's show, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. Bye for now. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 